Good afternoon, folks. You're listening to On the Books with Brian Niemeyer, briannemeyer.com, and welcome to my first ever Geek Gab Gaiden. Will hopefully be the first of many. And today's topic is going to be Star Wars. As you may have noticed, what day it is, it's a very special day. It's May the 4th, International Star Wars Day. So, what better day to discuss the franchise that defined the childhood of almost everyone who's listening out there and continues to sort of shamble on as a zombified vessel for corporate interests. But we're not going to get into that today. We're going to stay positive. And uh, remember, if you're listening on YouTube now, we've got the live chat going. Already got a couple commenters in there, and I will be taking your questions. You know, this is interactive. We want lots of audience participation. So don't be shy. Feel free to uh, address any questions or comments you have during the show in the chat. And a warm greeting to everyone who's in the chat right now. So today, I wanted to discuss what it is that makes Star Wars work. In particular, the first Star Wars novelization by Alan Dean Foster based on George Lucas's uh, earlier draft of the script. I believe it was on uh, the second to last shooting script, to memory serves. But also the film, because obviously they're very, very similar. And after studying this franchise, in particular this movie, this this novel, I, I have read the Foster novel somewhat recently, and after studying it in depth, I'm pretty satisfied that I've come to a conclusion for what makes Star Wars tick and why it resonated just so broadly and became this landmark cultural icon. And it's it might not be the reason that you guys out there think. Yeah, hopefully it will be fun. <laughs> That's the idea. That's the first question I ask myself before I do anything as an author. So here, here's your first piece of writing advice on what is going to be more of a writing and book-themed geek gab guidance. First writing tip is before you write anything, ask yourself, is what I'm about to write the most possible fun for the reader? Because the reader comes first. Purpose of fiction is to entertain. And few, few intellectual properties do that better than a Star Wars franchise. So why is that? Well, the first answer that commenters and critics are tempted to resort to today has to do with technique, with the nuts and bolts of the storytelling, the editing, the cinematography. And we can discuss that. I mean, those are those are necessary, but not necessarily sufficient conditions for good storytelling. And a question from the chat. No, critics don't come first. Not that literary criticism isn't important as uh, some of our friends like Jeffrey Johnson, David Hasley, and my co-host David Warpig have shown on the Castelli House blog and elsewhere. But ultimately serving the reader is an author's primary job. 
than getting paid, but serving the reader allows you more easily to get paid. As a friend of the show, Larry Kree would say. So examining the original 1977 Star Wars or the 1976 novel, I'm going to go ahead and go on a limb and, and brush with geekdom heresy here and say that really I don't think that it's necessarily the, the craft or the, the filmmaking or the the nuts and bolts that makes Star Wars in particular, uh, The Adventures of Luke Skywalker, if you're talking about the novel, A New Hope, if you're talking about the movie. I don't really think that's what makes it work because honestly, if you take a look at it, I was um, following a Twitter conversation with um, some of my Twitter friends, uh, especially Jesse Lucas, who's in, in the chat. And uh, they're pointing out that really A New Hope only holds up perfectly if you kind of suspend his belief and imagine you're watching it in 1977. So in terms of storytelling, it's got some flaws. I'm, I'm just going to say it. it. The original Star Wars has some flaws because you know, let, let's talk about protagonist here. Let's talk about what, what makes a story. Okay. The story is about someone who wants something usually identified as a protagonist having obstacles placed in his way, often by an antagonist, not necessarily villain. We can talk about that some more later. We will be in the course of this series. And that conflict, the character saying, I want something, and usually the more concrete it is, the better. I, I follow Pirate Editor Lou Anders on this. You know, protagonist goal shouldn't be something like, I want to be happy or I want to be wealthy, it, it should be more concrete. It should be, you know, I want to get the girl so that I can be happy. Okay, you know, I, I you know, want, want to win this game so I can, I can be rich. And that character goal plus an obstacle leads to conflict, leads to dramatic tension and drama and that is what audiences want nowadays. They want conflict and they want compelling characters. So if we look at A New Hope, if we, if we look at Star Wars, one, we don't meet the protagonist until quite a ways into the film. There's really that, that whole prologue. It opens with the Devastator's attack on the blockade runner. And we meet Princess Leia first. Although she's not the protagonist of the movie. You know, she definitely wants something. She wants to get the Death Star plans into the hands of the Rebel Alliance, but she's more of a relationship character. Okay. So yeah, compelling needs. Compelling needs. Yeah, that's a uh, good, good point. Uh, Corey in the chat says that uh, Holly Lala refers to character goals as compelling needs. I like that. So yes, and uh, Yod Khan says, uh, he correctly identifies what Luke wants, which is, I want to follow the ways of the Force and become a Jedi like my father. That's rather nebulous, honestly. It's not a very concrete character goal. So not only do I not meet Luke, who is the main protagonist, 
until perhaps 15, 20 minutes into the film. He doesn't really get a concrete goal until near the end, right? Where, because ultimate resolution of the conflict is blowing up the Death Star. And yeah, Hidden Fortress, uh, the Chad's bringing up the Kurosawa film that influenced Lucas to make Star Wars. Um, I haven't seen it myself, but uh, apparently it's a lot better at introducing the protagonists. And yeah, it's basically No Hope is a Samurai story. So there are problems uh, in, in addition to sort of fumbling with the protagonist, there are parts of the movie that drag. There's a lot of setup. It's the first in a series. Sometimes you can't get around that, but it it is what it is. That's one of the reasons I, I believe that Empire Strikes Back is a far superior movie, really one of the best ever made, because it's one of the most tightly edited films in history. It opens with all the characters having been set up, all the setup done. It just hits the ground running, and it just doesn't stop. So, all right, I've, I've dispensed with some of the reasons that people often cite for Star Wars working, like whether it follows a hero's journey or the, the editing or the, the action. Don't really think it hinges on that. Here's what I think it is. So speaking of the hero's journey, Professor Joseph Campbell, the mythologist, uh, author of Hero with a Thousand Faces and the Power of Myth, huge influence on George Lucas. Well, what did he have to say about myth? He said that a myth is how a culture explains itself to itself. Okay, myths are a culture telling its own story to itself to propagate its traditions, to give its members a way of coping with life transitions all the way from childhood to death. And people need these myths. They're universal. They're themes that continually show up in the myths of every culture on earth. It shows that there, there is some universality. Myths tell us something fundamental about being human. So what, what did Lucas want to say? Well, if you look at his most famous conceit for the series, that would be the force. Okay. Well, what, what is it? How did he think of it? Well, the force was partially based on a Canadian film board movie, a small art film called 2187. It's actually got the name of Finn in uh, Force Awakens. His uh, number was FN. 2187. And uh, there's a line in that talking about sort of interrelationship between all, all people and living things and identifying that with God. And this might surprise people out there who've always heard that, oh, Lucas is, you know, kind of this kind of this nice leftover hippie kind of guy. But no, he's specifically talking about God. He's talking about the divine. He wanted to get people talking about spirituality and about God. And specifically through the context of this conflict between good and evil. He says life works a lot better when you're on the good side. And yes, he alloys would be we would be more familiar with uh, the, the Christian concept of God with a lot of Eastern religions like Buddhism, Taoism, even Shinto. But the essential good and evil dynamic of light side and the dark side, that, that's very Western. So I would say the reason why Star Wars works is it's a, it's a moral story. 
Okay, there's no question about what what is good, what is evil, who the bad guys are, who the good guys are, what behavior is preferable. And if you look at where the movie came out, okay, in the mid to late 1970s, if you look at what Hollywood had produced before that, you know, the, the popular and award-winning movies, you had um, like Easy Rider at the end of the 60s, you had Network, you know, about the soul-crushing reduction of human beings to consumers. You had the, the gritty, bleak, urban crime drama of Taxi Driver. And there was a lot of postmodern thought. There was a lot of moral relativism. Then Star Wars comes along and it reaffirms traditional understandings of good and evil as expressed in shared myth. And it hit that sweet spot. So I mentioned earlier that the purpose of fiction is to serve the readers, it's to entertain. Well, part of that is telling the truth. Okay, so you could say, oh, well, there, there could be an entertaining lie. I, you know, it could be my Aristotomist background, but I would argue against that. You know, I would say that obtain utility from, from a story to achieve its true final end, it has to be true. And that doesn't mean that all the events have to be factual. There's a difference between factuality and truth. But a, a story must ultimately uphold the good, the beautiful, and the true. And Star Wars unquestionably does that. Specifically the first one, it really does it better than, uh, than the other, certainly better than the last five. Counting Rogue One. So... Yeah, in, in a nutshell, why does Star Wars work? Because it's true, ultimately. So there you go. That That is my answer to one of the most talked about questions in uh, film and literature in the 20th and now 21st century. So I'd like to get to the chat a little more. Uh, I've got about one more minute here because I'm trying to keep these shows to about 10, 15 minutes. Does anyone have... Any more questions in the chat? Nope, we're good. I see someone mentioned midi-chlorians. I'm one of the few people that does not have a problem with midi-chlorians. I mean, because a lot of people think that uh, they took what was supposed to be a, a mystical concept and grounded it and more scientific but really if you look at how people describe the force it's it's never been a god it's what uh you know theologians would call a really really powerful creature because it's contingent on life you know life generates it makes it grow so i never really had a problem with that oh okay so jared burrell asks can evil people tell good stories well, that, that's kind of a leading question. I don't want to weasel, weasel out of it, but um, there's really no such thing as an evil person, okay? Because evil is a privation on the good. So, you know, even a even the, history's worst villain is good to the extent that he, he exists. But if you mean like wicked, reprobate, or morally compromised people, and right, you know, they're, 
there's very few or, or no entirely good people. We certainly can't get there on our own. That's going more into philosophy and theology. But in terms of like morally corrupt or bankrupt people telling good stories, I'm hard pressed to think of an example. I'm, I'm not willing to say that it can't be done, but I would definitely say that it's uh, a challenge. You know, I, can, I obviously can't see into any author's heart, but I would say that if you look at the flood of pink science fiction, you know, what uh, the things that are taking home Hugo Awards nowadays, and you just look at the dreariness, the creative bankruptcy, and then look at the behavior that many of the authors have displayed online and you know, in, the, in the press, you know, like slandering Sign Rapid Puppies authors, for example. Um, I'm not willing to say that there, there is no correlation, you know, between their behavior and, you know, perhaps the morality or lack that they subscribe to and their deficiencies in storytelling. Okay, so we've got a question about Alan Moore. I don't know, is, is Alan Moore an, an evil guy? I mean, he's really sort of this Aleister Crowley figure that people make him out to be. Oh, from interviews I've, I've read with him and seen of him, he seems like a perfectly decent guy. I mean, without a doubt, he's told some obliquely you know, postmodern, even nihilistic stories. But, but here's, here's the thing. That's where craft can take you. Okay, that is where being a technical virtuoso, you know, it, it does give you mileage. But at the end of the day, it's a difference, difference between entertainment and titillation, okay? Because you can see, you know, four car pilot by the side of the road and you'll slow down to, to stare at it, right? Because you get that little thrill, you get that titillation. It's hard to look away from. So you can have stories that are like that. You can have stories that are, that are gripping on a more visceral level but that fail to transcend but yeah at the end of the day they're basically fast food they're basically like watching a train wreck in slow motion so let me just scan the chat i think there's one more oh yes uh for so the editor alex kimball I believe. I'm looking at the, the chat here. Yeah, his his theory. This is actually interesting. You know, what would happen if you made Darth Vader a woman? So basically, instead of being Anakin Skywalker, what if Vader? And what if it, what if it was actually Luke's sister in the armor? And that would uh, correct what is a, a major flaw of the later two movies, which is Obi Wan retroactively being made a liar by telling Luke that his father was killed. And Leia is then not Luke's sister, so the uh, the space prince can actually end up with the space princess at the end. And that's, I really think that, that idea's got legs. That's a good idea. And a lot of the problems with uh, the later Star Wars movies is that, um, you know, despite his own warnings, Lucas went with the quick and easy path. He uh, latched onto the first solution to a story problem he came up with and uh, you know, it didn't turn out too well. Well, anyway, that is all we have time for.
thanks for joining me. We had a lovely discussion in the chat. I uh, really appreciate you guys showing up and we'll have to do this again. Um, I'm looking to do on the books weekly, at least at first, and you know, see if I can maintain the discipline to keep that up. Uh, and it won't just be me you know, talking into the internet. We will be getting some guests, you know, some other writers and content creators. So I'll put links in the show notes. You can find links to my Campbell nominated and Dragon Award winning Soul Cycle books, which are available now on Amazon. I can get links to the Geek Gab YouTube channel, uh, as well as my blog, Kairos, and my Amazon page. There's also a link to 2187. You know, the, the film that inspired the force. I recommend checking it out. It's weird, but uh, it, it's cool. Shed some light on Lucas's thought process. Well, that is all I have time for. Thanks to everyone who listened, and we will see you next time.